Hmm, okay, so here we are. So, okay, last Friday, um, which is a week ago today from when I'm recording this, uh, I had a very important court date where a judge was going to try to mediate between me and my old business partner and the landlords who are suing us both as a business and then personally. And uh, it was the first time finally in over like 18 months that there had been some sort of movement in this case. And for myself, I had a very particular desire, (laughs) which is what we're going to talk about a lot today, for there to be um, an outcome that would make it all go away that day. Right. Um, and I knew this, I was very, very awake to the fact that I wanted that outcome (laughs) and I could feel over the days leading up to it, that that tethering that I was having to that particular outcome, which is very natural, right? <laughs> of course, who who in their right mind would not want a lawsuit to go away, right? For the judge to be like, oh, I convinced them to take the deal. It's all gone, right? <laughs> um, but I could feel how that desire, that like laser focus I had on that being the outcome was taking me down, right? the couple days before and then the couple days after my nervous system um, walked a path that is now very familiar without being able to eat or sleep like really uh, super like limbic system um, sympathetic nervous system activation Right. I could have like gone running and surfed a thousand waves and never eaten or slept for like four days. I was like ready to go into battle and before and after. Right. Which is part of why I knew it wasn't appropriate for me to be in front of y'all last weekend because you would have gotten a version of me. I don't, I don't know. It's just what's there. So, um, That morning, the morning of the court, I woke up and I did my practice that I have been doing for the past, it's been about two months now of writing in my journal in the morning and then meditating before I get out of bed. And knowing sort of this laser focus of desire that I had for this particular outcome, um, and a feeling that has been happening that we're gonna talk about today, Uh, in my own practice of feeling really like pointless. (laughs) Um, Like, what am I doing here? What's the point of this? There's so much suffering. Does it matter? Does my energy matter? Right? Like the patriarchy, that feeling of like the white supremacist hierarchy, patriarchy taking me out. Um and really separating me from my heart. So that morning when I woke up, I thought to myself, okay, well, 
what has been my greatest tool this pandemic, <laughs> this, this pandemic that we're living in right now. And so I practiced that morning loving kindness meditation for myself, for the judge who I didn't know yet, for all the lawyers, the landlords, my business partner, for everyone involved. Um, and really stuck with two things, the premise of two things, which was to feel the intention behind the phrases and to also let it be a love without preference. Um, to sort of, with the phrases, disentangle myself from that laser-focused desire for the outcome that I wanted. And I didn't feel juicy, like love feelings, you know? I didn't feel uh, like detached from that desire necessarily, right? But what I did have was this feeling of being able to use the form of practice and to trust that at some point, someday, right, it would lead me toward a more broad, beautiful view, right? Um, you all, I just learned that Jack, who is one of my um, teachers, Jack Cornfield, who's one of my teachers in my meditation teacher training program that I'm doing, I just finished. I have done one year, I'm one year in, one more year to go, was that this was actually his teacher. <laughs> um, and this beautiful sage from India, this yogi, um, Sri Nisragartha, uh, Maharaj is what they call him. He had this beautiful teaching for Jack on desire, which is also in this book, but I liked the way that Jack told it. <clears throat> he said, desire is not the problem, right? It's that you make the desire too small. He said, if you're going to desire, which we are, because we are in these human being, like this beautiful home, right? That is designed, we're little desire beings ever since like the beginning of evolution. We need food, we need water, we need sex, we need love, we need shelter. We have all these desires that keep us going. Um, and he said, just why not want it all, right? Why not make the lens of desire bigger? He said, it's when we make it small and pointed and hyper-focused that that's when we get suffering. That's what happens. That's when we start to suffer. Um, he writes, your aims are small and low. They do not call for more. Only God's energy is infinite because the divine wants nothing for themselves. Be like that and all your desires will be fulfilled. The higher your aims and vaster your desires, the more energy you will have for their fulfillment. Desire the good of all and the universe will work with you. But if you want your own pleasure, 
you must earn it the hard way. Right? So I very much went into this meeting, um, this court date, (laughs) uh, wanting a certain outcome, thinking that the way that I wanted it was going to be the best for all. Right? Um, That desired outcome that I had was going to make it so that I was okay. And pretty much from the beginning of that meeting, um, I began to sense (laughs) that my desired outcome was not what was going to happen. It was three hours. I was like, literally had like sweated out my whole entire shirt um, from having this, a, a lot of reaction, right? But um, also there was that happening. And then there was also the titrating back to the loving kindness practices, to the form of the practice of being able to touch in and say, I wish everyone here freedom and safety and love and happiness and ease, right? So I would notice, be awake and aware, right? That's what we do in the beginning. We go and move through parts of the body and feel what's here. And we practice, we remember (laughs) that we are beings that are aware. And so something would be said and I would feel my body go into a response And then I would come back, freedom, safety, right? Love, ease for all of us here. And there was this way in which titrating between the two of them, like kept me tethered to my heart, kept me tethered to my heart, right? And I have realized that in the past week when I've been thinking about this, because it was a very profound experience to be able to be in full reaction mode, like sweating my fucking shirt out, (laughs) my heart like beating a million miles an hour, having not slept, barely eaten, you know, (laughs) and then also to stay in relationship with this higher form of longing. So there's the pointed desire, this like fixed thing that I wanted, which didn't happen. And then also titrating between that and then this higher form of desire. And here's the thing, friends, is that the teachings, all of the liberation practices, yoga, Buddhism, the Tao, right? The Tao says the truth waits for eyes that are unclouded by longing. That's the teaching. And that's a question that we can start to bring in to um, our own practices. What does it feel like? What are those moments like when our eyes are unclouded by longing? To begin to um, hone our awareness and direct our awareness and be awake to those moments too. And what's there then? 
And all of these liberation practices taste of freedom. Right? That's what Maharaj is talking about. He's saying that when the desire gets too small, it doesn't taste of freedom anymore. But when we let it widen and get huge and big and want it all, right, that is free. Like even just saying it, that is free. So in um, the psychology classes that I've been taking (coughs) in my master's program, we talk a lot about healthy attachment versus unhealthy attachment. And this has been a very in vogue sort of topic lately where um, there's books, I think it's called Attached, that came out a couple of years ago that was um, really focused on this. There's that book called Polysecure for those of us who are more polyamorous. Um, And they talk about how attachment theory works. And there was this very... um, famous study a long time ago where they started to look at babies and attachment. And one of the things that they noticed is that when there was healthy attachment is that the parent, the parent figure acted not as like, um, you know, when I had my kid Veda who just turned 21, so 21 years ago when I had my kid Veda, there was this very much this attachment parenting kind of thing. Um, there's that word where it was encouraged that Veda would always be with me, always on me, always, always there. And that's totally true, that that all of that kind of helps when there's like a stable base. Um, and also, in these studies, they realized that what happens when there's a feeling of secure attachment between a caregiver and a child is that the child then has the freedom, right, to go off into the world and explore, knowing that there is a stable base to come back to, right? That the parent figure, the caregiver is not going to disappear. Mm -hmm. You get it? And so I was thinking about this in terms of our practice, right? And this idea of form and the stable base to come back to. And I think that that's a question to ask is like, what is it for you? What is it for me? What is it for all of us? How can we have healthy desire and healthy attachment? What does that look like in our lives? So that we're not disengaging from life, but that actually we have the freedom to desire big, to want it all, to go out there, knowing that we have this stable base to come back to inside of ourselves. That's a hot tip. <laughs> inside of ourselves. Um, hmm. I'm just going to look at my notes really quick. So there's that. There's this um, beginning to discern the difference between healthy desire and the desire that takes us out, right? And it could be something that in the next couple of weeks, I feel very interested in this, that we would be able to um, sort of notice 
those moments. Oh, I see the honed part of the desire <laughs> that that is like really taking me out. And then how can I be with that, right? Because this is just a part of it. How can I be with that in a way that is non-judgmental? Because here's the thing, as soon as that flavor of judgment comes in, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should be feeling this way. Um, that part in where my practice lately has felt sort of dry, right? And that's just how it goes. We go through parts of our practice where it doesn't feel as juicy. And my therapist this week said to me, think about your life, my dear. In the last couple of years, you want you you think your practice is just going to like feel juicy with like the layers and layers and layers of stress that are on it. And then the invitation in that place is to how can I be with that? Right? How can I be with the small focused desires? How can I be with the feeling of pointlessness? Right? From a compassionate, open, wider more vast space inside of us that has that taste, that flavor of freedom, right? That flavor of freedom. Hmm. I'm trying to find a quote for you here. Um, I, mm, where is it? Oh yeah, here it is. So this is, um, I learned this from Jack. This is from an eight-year-old poet about desire. I want to tell the fish, only eat only the bait, not the hook. When you eat the bait, start from its edge and slowly gnaw bit by bit. Never ever gobble it up in one go. Isn't that beautiful? Um, there's so much there, right? That hook, that that's us getting caught. That's us getting caught. Um, last thing, my friends, and then we're going to practice. This is, um, this has to talk a little bit more about that feeling of dryness that can come sometimes in our practice. And this is from Mark Nepo's book, The Book of Soul, which came out right, I think, at the beginning of the pandemic. So I don't know if it got a lot of, it's just one of those unfortunate book release dates, you know. <laughs> he writes, how do we get strength from what we know? And that's what he's talking about right there is what I was talking about. This comes from the Zen Buddhists is that how do we get strength from just the form? from um, me knowing, having the wisdom that morning to know, to use the loving kindness practice so that when I walked into that, my room, into that room, I walked in knowing that I had some sort of tethering to my own heart, right? To that, even if it didn't feel like it, to that longing to be in my heart, right? As Rumi says, there are love dogs crying out. You give your life to be one of them because it is the longing in and of itself that's the thing. Right? 
Oh, that was the first sacred poem I ever loved. Back to this. How do we get the strength from what we know? For sometimes the torch that lights our way, if held too close, can blind and burn us. You get it? That's that like pointed desire that's like right here. We can't see when something is right here. And many of us are compelled to a better way, though we can never live up to it. And so always fall short of what we aspire to. For integrity resides in bringing together who we are and what we do, though we'll never arrive at complete integrity any more than we can ever be done with breathing. Just take that in. We will never arrive at complete integrity any more than we will be done with breathing. What a, could you feel the grace in that? Do you feel that? Oh God, it just like, thank God. That's that titrating, right? There's what's happening. There's my nervous system having like a very activated experience in that court date situation. And then there's the like longing that I have to be in my heart. And then there's the gap between those two things, right? There's our aspiration and then there's what's actually happening. And that that always is going to be. That's our circumstances as being human. Then he writes, my good friend Parker Palmer speaks of this irrevocable discrepancy between what is possible and what is real, not as something to avoid or remedy, but to live through. To be clear, Parker is not speaking about the um, hypocritical and dissociative gap exhibited by people like Heidegger, but more about the inevitable reach of our soul and our flawed aim as human beings. Our soul wants to grow. Our soul is longing for connection. And then there's the human part of us that is always flawed and imperfect, and that's just the way that it is, you know? He sees living through this tension between our dreams and our experience as the threshold of soul work. Parker speaks of this authentic effort Right of living through the moments, which are most all the moments, <laughs> of like that gap between aspiration and what's actually happening is the threshold of soul work. We stay connected to both the aspiration and then what's actually happening. And then this is from Parker Palmer. I would argue that the best kind of leadership and citizenship comes from educating people to stand knowingly within this tragic gap, knowingly within this tragic gap, without letting the tension between reality and possibility pull them to one pole or to another. Just think about that in the world we live in right now. Without letting the tension between reality and possibility pull them to one pole or the other. When we are pulled too far to the side of reality, we become disengaged cynics. And when we are pulled too far to the side of possibility, we become irrelevant idealists. So it's not 
my loves, here's the deal. <clears throat> After that court date, where the outcome was not what I wanted, and will have very serious pre- uh, repercussions for the next seven years of my life, eight years probably, um, and my children's lives. Uh, and it's also an experience of, you know, being in a court system that is set up to benefit people who have money. And I mean wealth, access to limitless lawyer fees and all of that, right? There was a feeling for a moment or two or seven of shame, of what's the point of staying connected to my heart, right? And making um, just an offering, right, in that way. And like, how can I trust that I'm held? Even with this outcome. And that, I think, is where desire gets us caught, is that our mind tells us that it needs to be this way in order for me to be okay. Right? But the truth of it is, is that I don't know that. Maybe this outcome is actually, well, it is because it's what's happening. Maybe this is the way in which I will be okay. You know, it's widening, always, always widening that desire. Mm -hmm. And trusting like healthy attachment, healthy desire that there's that stable base that I can come back to inside of myself. And then your homework for this week <laughs> is to notice what it feels like when the desire is narrow and then to feel like, notice in your life, what does it feel like when there's no desire? And it's in those moments where we get to touch in on joy and equanimity and contentment and kindness and appreciation and commitment. Okay, that's what I've got for you. You'll have a playlist there underneath in the um, comments for you. Um, please say hi to each other, ask questions. You know that I always look at those guys. <laughs>